0: Sunshine. 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 Whoa. Shining a light on Illinois state government. Good morning. It is full disclosure with the Better Government Association. This is your host, Trent Nelson. Such a pleasure. We were not here last week, but we... Are certainly happy to be back. There is so much to discuss, and here to discuss it, as always, is our wonderful friend, CEO of the Better Government Association, David Grising. How are you this morning, sir? Good, Trent. Good to be with you. The pleasure is always ours. I'll say it once, I'll say it a thousand times, but we've got to get going. There's lots of information afoot, lots of things going on. And let's begin at Illinois' Open Meetings Act. What can you tell us about Chicago's mayor and his administration as well as Chicago City Council?
1: Well, in recent weeks, as response to the uh, migrant situation, there have been some pretty raucous city council meetings. And Brandon Johnson administration is responding with new rules that limit access to the gallery that sits right behind the Chicago City Council altar people. And they are now requiring advanced registration to attend a city council meeting, which, as far as our researchers can determine, is the first case of any public body doing that. And it also creates a situation in which the general public who just show up and don't pre-register will be sent to a third floor gallery that has very limited lines of sight and can't be heard very well from the chamber because it's enclosed in glass. And we think that this effort by the city council to change rules without a public meeting and a public vote on the changes is a violation of the Open Meetings Act. And we've informed Mayor Brandon Johnson of that fact and are waiting to find out what sort of response, if any, uh, we get from the city administration.
0: Certainly a potentially toxic situation. We certainly need our public institutions to function in those ways and to have to hear and, and take action from the community that they serve. Now, sir, on the topic of, of immigration in Chicago as well, we have to discuss. Governor Pritzker's decision not to move forward with a temporary housing site that
1: was being planned. What can you tell us about that? Well, what happened is that the city of Chicago conducted a study because the governor is offering up $65 million to support the effort to establish a temporary housing, uh, which really is a tented encampment for the migrants who are showing up in buses shipped from the Texas border. And this uh, consultant study discovered that the site that had been chosen on the uh, southwest side of Chicago is a former industrial site. It was There was a melter on the property in years past, and it's loaded with mercury, zinc, arsenic, and other toxics. And frankly, it would appear is unsafe for habitation. The city was prepared to move forward. Despite that, they thought if you could just throw about six inches of gravel on top of it, that would make it safe. Uh, Governor Pritzker, I think, correctly assessed that this was creating a health hazard and declined to allow funds to be spent on uh, use of this site. As an alternative, the city now is looking for options. The governor has opened up lines of communication to this Catholic archdiocese, which has some vacant properties that might be suitable. There's another former CVS site that's being looked at. This is all about the state and city trying to coordinate their responses to the migrants being shipped up, more than 20,000 of them since uh, last August uh, have arrived. And the city is still scrambling, as our cities across the state will also have received a few of these people. The city is still scrambling to absorb these people and and try to help them resettle in ways that are safe and healthy.
0: There is so much nuance in the entire discussion concerning immigration. People come from other places and settling. And of course, it's important that people go to places where they can find fulfilling lives and, and work. And that takes so many micro functions to accomplish. So we look forward to hearing how the state of Illinois deals with this very harried topic. Now, the Illinois State Police, they've launched a tip line so that the likes of the ComEd 4 trial and the Mike Madigan trial might not be so grandiose in the future. What can you tell us about this innovation, sir?
1: Well, the state police, which is not involved so far as we know in enforcement along the lines of some of the high-profile public corruption cases that have come to light, is launching a, nevertheless, uh, trying to dip its toe into this problem with a tip line that residents of the state can use to alert the state police of any suspected wrongdoing. Uh, Contracts being steered to friends in exchange for kickbacks, overbilling on contracts, embezzling money, personally benefiting from federal or state-funded programs, wire fraud, money laundering, you name it, any sort of public corruption that people think they're observing, they can now inform the state police of this matter. Oftentimes people will go to federal authorities. They may sometimes go to local authorities, but state police are letting the public know that they're in the business of enforcing the law as well. And they're open to receiving tips to their special investigations unit if people think they are aware of public wrongdoing.
0: Fascinating innovation. We do not necessarily know how it will play out. Everyone might need to take some civic courses to catch up on what is and what is not wrongdoing, but we look forward to seeing how a further layer of eyes looking might be able to spare us some embarrassment in the future. Full disclosure here, shining a light on Illinois state government with the Better Government Association, with David Grising, the CEO of the Better Government Association. And, man, we've been speaking about Chicago City Council, about some policies that seem to lack a bit of sunshine, about immigration, about settling immigrants in temporary housing sites, which, as David Grising noted, are 10 towns to varying degrees, as well as the Illinois State Police's newest tip line, for public corruption. But we have to get, before we let David Gryson go, we have to get to what the Illinois State Supreme Court has been up to since last we spoke. Sir, what can you tell us about what the state's highest court has decided?
1: Well, there are two rulings of note. First of all, there was a denial of records requests from people who had sought to receive uh, federal firearm owner's ID cards from the state police and filed freedom of information requests in order to try to ascertain why their um, applications were rejected. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled that the FOIA law, the Freedom of Information Act, uh, public records law, is not a suitable way for people to discover that. it is not in, There is an exemption written into the FOIA law that says that Uh, This information cannot be obtained through uh, records requests, mainly because the Associated Press some years ago wanted to know everybody who had been applying for firearm owners' ID cards, and a law was passed to specifically exempt such requests from the freedom of information law. And so when these individuals sought this information, the court advised them that they have a right to that information. They can just go to the state police and ask for it but they can't do it through a Freedom of Information Act request. And so it's a limitation on FOIA that uh, the the court is now upholding. There was another case of interest in the current session that has to do with access to biometric information. Illinois has the most aggressive biometric information privacy law, and it was determined by the Supreme Court that healthcare workers who must use their fingerprints in order to access things like medication that they need to dispense other materials, or even patient health information, that they must provide their fingerprints for that purpose, that their privacy rights under the biometric information law does not protect them from using their fingerprints in order to identify themselves as appropriate recipients of that kind of material or information. And so those are two kind of key rulings from the term that has just closed, and both of them have to do with access to public information.
0: Everything has its limits. The Biometric Privacy Act, of which we know is a landmark in many instances in terms of how much it seeks to protect uh, Illinoisans, certainly has to intersect and and function with health mandates and and various internal policies of medical facilities. And so we appreciate the explanation. The FOID-CARD discussion is, of course, still ongoing in so many ways and something that really gets people fired up to discuss. So I'm sure that we will discuss it further in the future. CEO of the Better Government Association, David Greising, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
1: Great to be with you again, Trent, and look forward to talking to you again soon.
0: Well, we look forward to it as well, sir. And sir, before we let you go, would you mind uh, telling our audience where they can read some more of the great work that the Better Government Association gets
1: into? Sure. We publish on our Illinois Answers Project website. That's IllinoisAnswers.org. All of our investigative and solutions-focused reporting is published there. And then our policy materials, such as our letter to Mayor Johnson and our coverage of the, we think, abuses of the Open Meetings Act, that's on our BGA policy website, which is at bettergov.org.
0: You heard it here first, folks. There are so many ways to learn. And David Greising is here to help us do just that. Again, sir, thank you. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Shining a light on Illinois state government. This is Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. This is your host, Trent Nelson, and keep on yearning for learning, and we'll speak to you next week.